1: They wouldn't put you in a room and ask you to do that unless something had gone wrong. I remember just in my mind surrendering and just like giving up mentally, not having the will to fight anymore in my head and thinking, I'll just do whatever this guy wants just to get out of this place.
0: Today's episode is with Alex Barnes-Ross, one of the few outspoken former Scientologists from the United Kingdom. So Alex had a relatively different experience in Scientology to what other people I've spoken to, you know, Aaron Smith-Levin and Chris Shelton and all those guys have had. So I thought that'd be really interesting. And, you know, he even worked alongside Bella Cruz. Uh, For those of you in the know, that is the daughter of Tom Cruise, who for some reason was working in Scientology in London, appears to live over here, here being the UK, because that's where I'm speaking from. But for many of you It would be there, not here. But, (laughs) nonetheless, the story's interesting. Alex is a fascinating guy. Uh, He left, he went back to Scientology, all sorts of things. He has his own YouTube channel now. uh, Who among us does not? Called Apostate Alex. Do go check it out for a really insightful and different look at Scientology from a British perspective. Because he will go into a little bit of the history with L1 Hubbard in the UK. And how he was treated, pretty appallingly, locked in a room even so check that out big episodes are coming up again I've lost track of the order these are actually going to go out in so you might have already listened to the one of Julia Hart for example about growing up in a Haredi ultra-Orthodox Jewish community she's the uh, amazing woman from My Unorthodox Life on Netflix. That was a great episode. There was HG Tudor talking about uh, narcissism and Meghan Markle and that stuff. So loads of big episodes coming out. Do support the show on patreon.com slash Gold. You can get the Saturday episodes there as well, which I try to make sort of more the episodes that are for like, you know, that that maybe... Some of the mainstream listeners, the casual listeners, might be like, oh, that's a bit too much Megan stuff or a bit too much Scientology stuff. Um, So I'll put that on the Saturday where we go a bit more into the weeds, a bit more into some of those topics, while keeping the mainstream Monday and Thursday one varied. But yeah, that's patreon.com slash andrewgold. And then you get these episodes as well. You can stick them on your Apple podcast app or some other apps and things as well. So it would just be like you're listening like normal, but without ads. Yeah, that's all I've got to say about that, because now you're on the edge of British Scientology with Alexander Barnes-Ross. So I'm with Alexander Barnes-Ross, a former Scientologist, one of the few, perhaps a unique case of somebody who has left the English... Scientology and can talk about it with us today. Uh, So make sure to check out his channel, Apostate Alex. It's fantastic, really behind the scenes, fascinating information that you're going to get. Alex, tell us how you started in Scientology. It's a
1: bit of an interesting one for me because my um, family aren't uh, Scientologists. I grew up kind of in a secular household. So I joined of my own fruition when I was a teenager. Um, I actually saw the BBC Panorama documentary that John Sweeney did about Scientology and how bad it was. And my thought as a teenager was like, God, either it is something that's really bad that, um, you know, the documentary is correct and uh, therefore, it's something that should be stopped, or um, they've just annoyed the wrong person, and who they happen to be a journalist, and they've gone out of their way to try and make it seem as bad as possible. Um, but being someone who's quite critical as a thinker myself, I wanted to make up my own mind rather than you know just take what a journalist says you know at its at its sort of for what it's worth. So um, went in, did a personality test, and kind of went in, gave them a bit of a tough time. Really, I mean, I was you know, asking them all the tough questions you'd expect. Do you believe in aliens? Do you believe in Xenu? Do you disconnect families? And not just taking their word for it, but, you know, pushing them because I've heard all this bad stuff. And I think the thing that a lot of people don't realise about Scientology is that they have such a way of answering your question that makes you satisfied with that answer, even if it's shrouded in mystery and it's kind of like a politician never really answering a question but in such a way that you're satisfied so by saying do you you know I gave them the question do you disconnect families right and the person I was speaking to was saying well there is a policy of disconnection that is a thing but think of it like this if you had someone that was in your life that was a friend or something that was being mean to you and bullying you and You know, you weren't happy when you spent time with this person, you would naturally try and spend less time with them and Mm. think, okay, I'm not going to talk to you so much and go and spend your time with someone else. That's what disconnection is. So yeah, that is a thing, but it's been blown way out of proportion in the media. We would never force families to disconnect. Mm. And you kind of go, Okay, cool, that kind of makes sense. So they sort of satisfy your mind and satisfy you know, your question to think, okay, well, maybe there is some truth here that has been misinterpreted in the media. So anyway, they get, I ask them all the tough questions. They give you all the answers you want to hear. And long story short, ended up on staff at the Church of Scientology in London. Um, and then in a nutshell, yeah, got kicked out, rejoined, got kicked out again and now I'm here. <laughs> yes, yeah,
0: it's cr- well, I'm happy you are here. It's uh, it's really something. and I suppose that's the question that everyone always gets to at the beginning. Is like, oh, how could you have gone there, and how could you believe them, and that stuff. Had you seen, for example, I know you've you've analysed that Peep Show scene where Jez, and I know for um, non Brits that might be a reference that they don't know. Uh, it's a, a sitcom. Uh, in the uk it's brilliant and and the main character jez goes and says oh i'm gonna go and make fun of this i mean i guess it's not too i mean you weren't going to make fun of it it's not too different to your own story he goes in and he goes this is not going to be necessarily for me and starts listening going oh my god and then he sort of joins um (laughs) so had you seen that had you seen south park as well i hadn't at that point no Ah, Do you think that would have made a difference? Probably
1: not, because it's not like I had no idea what Scientology wasn't. You know, I'd watched the BBC Panorama documentary. I'd done my own research about it. I was fully aware of what was said about Scientology. But there's something in your mind where you kind of go, is it just perhaps that it's you know, this crazy thing in America and it's different here and maybe it's, you know, not being run in the same way or maybe it isn't as bad and people are just, you know, if you think about even a restaurant you go to, if someone needs a bad review on Google, it's going to be, oh, this is the worst food ever. That's just someone who's annoyed and they've left a review. But, you know, it could be something as similar to that. You know, the people who have left, who have got something bad to say about it, will shout about it and, you know, you kind of go in and I have tried to think, Well, let's think of this out, you know, in perspective. Is it actually as bad as it seems? Or is it that some few people who are disgruntled have made a lot of noise about it? And they just satisfy your need when you go and you go, okay, well, maybe, maybe it isn't as bad as it is being made out to seem. And, you know, when you spend time there, you think, well, I can leave at any time. I'm not here because I have to be. And everyone else that I'm with is seems happy. They're enjoying themselves. And we had a really good time doing it. So you kind of think, well, look, maybe maybe that is all kind of a bit of rubbish online. But then when you come out of it and you realise the impact it has in your mind, even many years later, you realise, no, actually it is it is true. It's just very well well hidden. You know, for me I was out of Scientology for six or seven years or something before i realized that it was still impacting my brain in the way that i was thinking um so i think the damage scientology does mentally is often overlooked and you don't really
0: realize until till you're out what was um i mean because we've talked about the okay maybe your your mindset was that maybe it's not so bad, could just be people with bad reviews, which makes sense. And, and you could be one now who just has a bad experience. And, you know, maybe Scientology is wonderful, and you're giving, you know, your side, you know, because you're angry and bitter about it, uh, which I don't think is the case, by the way. But what's the good then? What What is it? Because I guess that's what a lot of us who haven't been in there are, are wondering, you know, what, what's, what are they telling you? What are you doing in Scientology? What feels good? Mm. I think that's the thing to consider as well, is that there has to be some good in
1: any cult or coercive group because people wouldn't join if there wasn't some sort of seed or grain of, of goodness in there. And everyone gets their own benefits, you know, the very entry level. For me, it was very much about you know, spending time with people who were like-minded, people who were trying to achieve a goal, right? There's this goal in Scientology of trying to clear the planet, which is, you know, trying to rid everyone of their reactive mind and this goal that is completely unobtainable. You know, if you think think about a charity or something, there's no charity that exists that goes, we want to, you know, end all homelessness in the world because it's an unobtainable goal. Whereas there will be a charity that says we aim to... Rid people of homelessness, for example, which is much more realistic. It's not a sort of set in stone defined thing that's going to happen. It has to happen this lifetime in Scientology. So that kind of element of we're trying to do something here, we're trying to achieve something, we're all in this together. And it's a really important job. We want to do it now. We have to do it now. And you know you're spending your time helping people or that's what you know you're led to believe and you are sort of caught up in it and that's for me it was it was my purpose it was my you know what i wanted to do with my life it was what i was working towards and you know got to the point in my my life where i signed my one billion year contract which is dedicating not just this life but all future lives you're ever going to have to drive The goals of Scientology, you know, that's a big commitment. And I think people don't realise it. On the surface, it sounds really bizarre and sounds insane and mad. But actually, you know, just think for a second what state of mind someone has to be in to not just sign up this life, but all lives you're going to have to this thing. That's where your mind is at. And that's how much it affects you and how you're really dedicated and believe that this is the way to help people. So there's got to be benefits in it because you wouldn't do that if you didn't, you know, seek some sort of benefit. But,
0: Ultimately, it does more harm than good. With those kinds of lofty ambitions then, and you feel very much, uh, I suppose, special and you're helping the world and you joined, you were 14, 15 years old for a few years at the, at the first time round. How do you go from that then to like a normal school life? Were you like known as the guy who's in Scientology at, at high school, that kind mm. of thing? Yeah, so I joined Scientology when I'd left secondary school so
1: i finished i was doing my gsse's finished my gsse's and then went straight on staff um so i would have the summer on staff before going to sixth form to do my a levels. so that's your you know i would have been 16 at that point because you in the uk for those who don't know you finish school at 16 then you do two years of college or sixth form then you go to university at, at 18 so i was Not at school when I was on staff, but then going back from staff to do my A-levels. Yeah, it was hard because I was very aware that Scientology has a reputation and the way you speak to people in Scientology is different. You know, the way you pronounce your... There is like a lingo that you get with Scientology, but because you're aware of it, you can kind of tone it down. What kind of thing? Well, just the way that you talk to people, you know, if there's all these abbreviations and words that mean different things in Scientology that you wouldn't use, there's a thing called study tech, which is the idea of how you learn um, and how you read stuff and you have to have a dictionary and you need to clear up any misunderstood words. And there's a way of learning Scientology that you wouldn't necessarily use in school unless it's a Scientology school. So I was aware that it would seem a bit weird if I went into my whatever class at sixth form and had a dictionary and started learning in a different way to everyone else so you just you know you tried to do it as on on the sly you know yeah. discreetly but because you're aware of it you can tone it down but yeah definitely tried to get as many people as i could in scientology when i was did you Was so at school form. you were evangelizing mm. a little bit yeah and how did that go uh not so well i don't think i was successful in anyone because you know it's just that you're that weird kid aren't you but is that is that how you felt then Yeah. But also I was, yeah, I mean,
0: it must've been difficult
1: not really because i was aware i don't know because i was aware of it i wasn't too in your face like i wasn't that weird kid that was trying to push it in everyone's face and you've got to join it was you know i would have a conversation with everyone about it and if they weren't interested fine
0: that's it leave it i would never push it on that that doesn't sound like school to me because school kids are so cruel and mean and as soon as they spot something different about you especially if you're being open and you, you were being open about beliefs and things that you had that were different from the norm you would expect kids to just like Jump on that because they are so cruel. Was that, there must have been some of that. you got
1: to remember as well, this is sick form. So this that's is already, um, you know, 17, 18 year olds. It was kind of not everyone in school stays on from 16 to 18. And, you know, mm.
0: I was quite friendly with most people at school. So that's true. I think 17 to 18 are slightly less cruel than 14 year olds. Those are, that's like the worst. I think that it gets. So you got in there. So what what kind of things are you doing day to day? And what are your, I guess, new Scientology friends like? When I was on staff? Yeah. So the first
1: time I was on staff, I was working in Div 6A. So in Scientology, the church is divided up into divisions that will have very different... Um, Purposes and different tasks, and I was in Div Six A, which is the public-facing um, part of Scientology. So our job was to disseminate, to sell books, to get new people into Scientology. So I was spending a lot of time with um, a few other staff members going out selling books. Effectively, um, we would go to Edgware Road; would be the main place we'd go because we were wouldn't get kicked off by for not having a permit because we just set up on the street and trying to sell books. We knew we'd get away with it there, um, and also it's a really hard Arabic area where people don't speak as much like English isn't necessarily the first language Um, so we would go out with Dianetics in Arabic language and sell loads of those because we knew that those people didn't know what Scientology or Dianetics was. Yeah so we used to go and sell um, books on Etoware Road because there was a very high proportion of non-English speakers like native English speakers so If we were to go book selling at Shepherd's Bush or uh, Brixton or somewhere like that, we would get a lot of people saying, oh, Scientology is a cult and you guys believe in Xena. And we get a lot of pushback and we wouldn't sell many books because people are already hyper aware of what Scientology and Dianetics is. Whereas selling books on Edgeware Road, there's a lot more people who
0: don't know what Scientology is and aren't aware of what Dianetics is. So we can... Kind of get away with it. So, loads of like Arabic people and people whose second language might be English, uh, just were they then signing up and following through? Did you get data on like if they're actually signing up afterwards? Yeah, so
1: what would happen once you do the stress test, you sell them the book, you know, you give them the receipt, what you're meant to do is get their email address or, you know, some sort of contact data from them when writing the receipt out. And nine times out of ten, you would get something from from them when you give them the receipt and you take that back and you hand it in to the church who then would follow up with, you you know, flyers and stuff in the post or emails. That wasn't necessarily my job because my job was to just sell the books and get more people, new people in. And then it's someone else's job to then follow up and get them on course. But yeah, there were definitely people who I remember sending a book to and then seeing them on course a few weeks later. It wasn't a huge. Um, it's not what I would expect in, you know, a business that's trying to sell something. For example, you would expect the follow up to be a lot better, and you would see a better follow through follow up, which I didn't see in in the church so much.
0: Um, but it is definitely something that happened for sure. Do you, ha- do you have an idea of how many? Um people are Scientology members in, in the UK and how that compares worldwide? Mm, it's really
1: hard. I mean, there's you can look up the census data, um, several thousand, not as huge here as it is over in the US, um, but not nearly as big as they claim it to be. I mean, if you look at it, on the face of how many orgs there are. Um, St. Hill is the UK headquarters, which is near East Grinstead in Sussex, and that's staffed predominantly by Sea Org members, people who have signed their one billion year contract. Um, And then there's also, there's London Org, where I used to work, there's two buildings, Tottenham Court Road and the main Org on Queen Victoria Street. Um, And at the time I was working there, that was it. There were small orgs in Edinburgh, Plymouth, Birmingham, Manchester and Sunderland, but they were tiny, like little buildings on the high street that you know kind of like the Topical road center was not large orgs that were ideal now i believe birmingham has gone ideal manchester is on the way to going ideal and there's a big program to renovate these buildings um but at the time i was there london was the only ideal org in the uk what does that mean, ideal? So David Miscavige had this whole plan where he was trying to renovate all these buildings to make Scientology churches lovely looking and plush and, you know, spend millions of dollars on buying these new buildings and expand, making it look oh. like Scientology is expanding. So, um,
0: yeah, London all went ideal in 2006 um, and that's where I worked. So it just looked pretty and nice and everything. Because the one, I mean, there's that famous one in California. I think that's the is that the blue one, big uh, blue. Yeah, That's yeah. That's like a
1: birthing building, but it does look quite, you know, it's large.
0: extraordinary. Yeah. It looks, it looks. I mean, it looks like Hollywood, I suppose, doesn't mm-hmm. it? And then there's the one in Clearwater. I guess that's the headquarters, which also looks pretty amazing one in London looks amazing you were at the Tottenham Court Road that's where you were selling the books Tottenham Court Road which is a smaller for those who don't know it it's, a little, it's almost like a shop for those who've been to London a lot and walk around London you'll have seen it in Tottenham Court Road um, I mean I wanted to go in there when I last walked past it so what would happen if I walked in firstly would they recognise me? We should go that would be quite fun actually we maybe next time
1: you're in London we should do a walk around
0: A few decades ago private citizens used to be largely that private Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: So to give you a bit of a rundown, so Queen Victoria Street is the, the main ideal org. That's where everyone's based. That's where I was based out of. That's where I worked. Um, but Tottenham Court Road is where the org used to be before they refurbed and bought the building and made it ideal. So they kept the Tottenham Court Road Centre as, um, they call it the test centre, UTCR, TCR, Tottenham Court Road. Um, and there there are levels of the building where they can do courses and deliver things like that, but it was always empty. We only used it as it's a really high traffic area so is great for getting new people in and selling books so we would literally have three people or so there at any one time literally giving out flyers and leaflets to get people into the building um, and sell them a book or get them to do a personality test so if you and I were to go in now it might be different to if a member of the public went in who didn't do what we do mm-hmm. um, but the idea you're meant to just Go in. They'll sit you down and um, you know ask you if you heard about Scientology or Dianetics, and you would say yes or no. You know answer that question honestly, and then sit you down and they put you in front of a TV screen and show you a short clip that's like four or five minutes or whatever that explains what Scientology is or Dianetics or whatever one it is you've gone in there to talk about. And then someone would sort of once that's finished either allow you to kind of walk around and look at these display panels and spend your own time. You know, looking at stuff or ask you questions and, you know, try and figure out why you've come there and what you wanted to do. And from that, try and figure out what's called your ruin. So, what is it that you don't like about yourself? Or what is it you want to improve about yourself? Or what could you be doing better in your life? And try and figure out this through um, talking to you and then either sell you a book as a solution to that or get you to a personality test where they just go even deeper into that sort of question and try and sell you a course or something. And then from then, you'd be routed over to the um, main or Queen Victoria Street where you would then do your servicing, um, do your course or whatever. Do you think they'd recognise me and you? It's hard because the people who who are staffed, who are staying at Tottenham Court Road the people who are posted at Tottenham Court road don't there's no book with like pictures on it of sps or anything like that mm, that's so of persons yeah so when i when i was there i think there was a book probably somewhere in the desk where if someone was causing us those grief we could look it up but essentially we would just kind of let anyone in and if anyone caused a scene or trouble we would try and get them out um and call the dsa the director of special affairs who's the person who deals with that sort of thing um but there's you know, there's not enough people coming in to warrant looking at this book for everyone. Um The ideal org is a bit different because there's more people there. There is a permanent receptionist who is trained. There is, you know, the DSA is, star, he's based there. So there's more people around. So if you were to walk into the org there, it's possible. I don't know. It depends on how on it they are and whether they're aware of who you are. If I walked in, they would obviously know who I am, but there are also new staff members who maybe don't know who I am. Mm. Um, But also, last time I spoke to them, I wasn't declared as a person. I was PTS. So, I wouldn't be exactly welcome with open arms, but I wouldn't be uh, escorted off the the property. PTS is um, potential trouble source. So, when I left, basically, I was kicked out because I got kicked out the first time and I was a bit upset about it. And when I rejoined I said to them, I'm a bit upset. You guys kicked me out here and I'm, you know, wasn't allowed to speak to my friends or my family. No, my family are fine because they're not Scientologists, but, um, you know, I wasn't allowed to do any Scientology. That was my purpose and so I went into a session um, that was meant to like handle that and I was just still upset about it and the session made me feel worse and I was crying and essentially they declared me PTS, which is potential trouble source, which basically says um, I am trying to get auditing for free. And I said that Scientology doesn't work and Scientology is the cause of all my problems. And therefore, um, you know, I'm a potential trouble source. And so you can leave now. And
0: I was like, Oh, okay. So it's a, it's this funny thing because they sort of, Kicks you out, and I found this with a lot of people who've left Scientology. And I'm speaking anecdotally; I don't know what the statistics are, uh, just from my memory. A lot of people seem to almost be pushed before they could walk uh, or walk out the door. Um, So I end up talking to people, and I I can't remember the specifics, but you know, whether it be Mike Rinder or uh, various other people, they got sort of bullied and punished so much to such a point that they could just no longer be there. And even then, they continued to have to hold Scientology beliefs. I mean, that's what a grip it has on people, isn't it? It's, it's really extraordinary. So you were sort of pushed out. Would you still be there, potentially, if they'd treated you a little bit better? 100%. I, w- I was fighting to stay, right? Yeah. And it was,
1: you know, for... Sev- I probably still consider myself Scientologist for two or more years after that happened. So I was barred from all Scientology servicing, I got this declaration that says I'm not allowed to um, go into an org to receive servicing until I've done this, this and this, you get a return program. Um, But I was still a Scientologist, I'd signed my seal contract, right? I was, this is where my mind was at, this is what I want to do, this is how I'm going to help the world and when your mindset is at that place, even if they kick you out and say you're a problem and you can't come in you got to remember you've signed your life and all future lives oh. to this cause. So therefore, do you get what I mean? Where your yeah. mind is at, of course you're still going to consider yourself a Scientologist. They kicked you out and you're fighting to try and get back in because you genuinely believe that ethics and Scientology tech is the way to clear the planet, solve your problems. And so if there's a momentary upset or something wrong in your life that's going on with Scientology, it's this small little problem that doesn't matter in the scheme of things because you've got millions of lives to sort it out. So who cares if you're a bit upset right now? You can figure it out.
0: But still, yeah, in your mind, there's like good versus evil and the good guys aren't letting you in at that point. Like, you must have been a wreck. Absolutely. Yeah. And you kind of put it into the back of your mind for,
1: um, you know, you just kind of, when you're not in the org all the time, you're not being indoctrinated, you're not around people who are Scientologists and you're not speaking the lingo. So over time, you do get to the place where you kind of forget about it and move on with your life. And that's what I did. And it wasn't until years afterwards that I was going to therapy for something completely different and reached this point where my therapist said, you know, I'm I'm finding it hard speaking with you, Alex, and you can't you're not feeling emotion here in the room. Like you need to feel the emotion here for us to work on it. And we talked a bit about Scientology and we realized that that is an effect of Scientology. You in Scientology you're taught that all emotions are part of your reactive mind, which is something you're trying to get rid of. You're trying to become clear, which is where you don't have a reactive mind anymore. So you're you're instinctively um taught to like suppress all emotions. And it's not that I would recognize I had an emotion and then try and push it down. It's that I didn't actually feel the emotion, like it's just not registering at all. And it wasn't until I realized that this was happening six years 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 after leaving Scientology, that I thought, hold on, maybe there's the effects are still here, even though I'm not aware of it. And then started seeing a specialist counsellor who's, you know, much more aware of how Scientology specifically works. And, Mm. you know, it was like opening a can of worms. It was Really fascinating to see how it trained your brain to think and process information in certain ways that you might not even be aware of.
0: That's interesting. So, so when you were in, it, I imagine there's a lot of tests and exams and things. Just I'm being quite vague about what they were called and all that because I guess most people listening aren't you know into the weeds of this of this thing. Um, and I gather as well you, you among the people you worked with was Tom Cruise's daughter
1: yeah there's not too much to say much about her really but Bella Cruise was a member of the public so she or public Scientologist so she was around I didn't actually know she was Tom Cruise's daughter until after I left I um I had left and was speaking to someone else who was still on staff and he was like you do know Bella is like Bella Cruise right and I'm like what do you mean is, you know is in Isabella Cruise Tom Cruise's daughter I'm like no really googled it and I was like, like no way i had no idea because in the org it's very much like just treat her like a normal person and there's no special treatment or whatever i'm sure she i mean a lot of the auditors and people who worked at london org were flag trained anyway which is like the headquarters in florida i was there for this thing called the golden age of tech Two, which was this big evolution in scientology where um Yeah, we don't need to go into it now, but it's a big thing that happened where lots of people were over at flag training and they came back. So we had like the best of the best in terms of auditors who had just come back from the headquarters. So in terms of the servicing she received, I'm sure it was excellent cuz we had that anyway but there wasn't any sort of special treatment or whether, or anything that i was aware of she never came out book selling or anything i did always think that was a bit weird because okay. so many other members of the public were happy to do that but then after leaving it's like oh that's because she's you know famous that's maybe why she's not coming out might book be recognised yeah. <laughs> i'm sure
0: there's some sort of yeah it might look weird if tom cruise i mean tom cruise even doing i mean i don't see him going out handing out flyers and stuff i know a lot of people i gather a lot of people are a little bit jealous of tom cruise or like you know i've heard things about Murmurings of John Travolta, what he really thinks, and that Cruise gets all the special treatment, uh, so it might be weird for his daughter to be going around handing out flyers and, and, and things as well. The whole thing's just really bizarre. Is that is that um, the daughter from Nicole Kidman? Yeah, And so Nicole is not a Scientologist, and... Is she an SP? It's a suppressive person because I know her dad was a psychiatrist.
1: Yeah, I don't know the current state of play. As as far as I'm aware, yes, um Bella is not meant to speak to Nicole. But I'm not celebrities get like special treatment anyway, so I wouldn't be surprised if she's allowed to. One interesting thing that did happen though was I didn't put the pieces together until afterwards. But um there was a separate org called Celebrity Centre, right? So um there is Celebrity Centre International in Hollywood where you know all celebrities go and there's Scientology churches that are specifically for celebrities. There was one in London. It was literally like a tiny room in an office above yeah. a building. It was like not just really anything. No, no, she was never a public at Celebrity Centre CC. So, right. She was always a public
0: at the Ideal. So who would have been in the Celebrity Centre? Well,
1: when you say Celebrity in Scientology, it means like artists, creative, you know, anyone in that sort of field. Um, and they receive processing in a slightly different way and things are done slightly differently, but it is still Scientology. But because the Celebrity Centre was wasn't ideal and it wasn't this lovely fantasy new building. Quite a lot of the time, you know, there the celebrities like Bella Cruz would be coming to the main London org because it's been refurbed, it's nicer and there's more people and it's busier. Um but I didn't put two and two together because there was a time when CC Celebrity Centre merged with the main ideal org in London. So they came in and they boarded off this part of the building on the second floor and they refurbed it and they put this nice VIP reception in. In and um, you know it all looked very fancy and we were just told that CEC because the, um, because it's not ideal they're coming to the Ideal Org and they still operated as a separate org they just had their own space within the London Org um, but it wasn't until afterwards that I realised that the timing of which that VIP entrance was made at London Org was just finished just before Tom Cruise arrived in London for the filming of Mission Impossible oh. and then he was photographed going into the back entrance of London org. So I reckon, I'm 99% sure, the only reason they built that VIP entrance and moved CC from their existing building to the London Ideal Org is because they knew Tom Cruise was coming. Because Celebrity Centre was this washed out, horrible little office building that like wasn't anything. So they wanted him coming to the main org, but that's not where the Celebrity Centre was. So... They definitely do get special treatment as celebrities, for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I remember hearing about when Tom Cruise was with Penelope Cruz—different Cruz spelling, of course—but uh, I think in Madrid or Barcelona, it was like they built an entire building there because of Penelope Cruz and her relationship with Tom Cruise. Like the things they do for him, extraordinary. But also, just thinking about um, going back to Bella Cruz, so I think that's—I think it must be a biological daughter of mm-hmm. Cruise and Kidman. And I only say that because I looked her up last night, and it's like you've superimposed their faces together because i'm aware they adopted children as well i think i don't know but just to just to think there you there's so much that goes on uh, in people's lives you see someone like nicole kidman who appears to have everything or whatever just a glamorous actress and uh doing interviews about movies and things like that and as you say it's very possible she might not have any contact or be allowed to talk to her daughter um and her daughter's in a in a cult that she doesn't believe in it's uh Quite horrific, and I guess she wouldn't be able to ever talk about it. She'd probably sign some sort of NDA about it.
1: Yeah, there's also the fear of speaking out publicly because if you if you have family in Scientology that you know, maybe you can't speak to or whatever, there's a fear of speaking out because you don't want to make it worse, right? If you have, if Nicole and Bella have an arrangement with the church where they're allowed to talk to each other, even though they're not supposed to, but they can and it's kind of okay, you know, it's in everyone's interest for that to just leave it like that. Whereas if Nicole was to go out and say something publicly against Scientology, then she would officially be a suppressive person and Bella would therefore you know, be in a position where she has to disconnect and if she doesn't, then she would be declared as well, and then she has to make a choice between her mum or her dad and her brothers and sisters who are in Scientology or her mum who isn't, right? And so it's in everyone's
0: best interest to not say anything publicly because they yeah. You know. Which is why we never hear from uh, any of Tom Cruise's ex-wives really about Scientology or him or any of the stuff that's going on. Katie Holmes, Nicole Kidman, Mimi Rogers. Uh, I've never heard Penelope Cruz say a word about it. The only people who speak out about him uh, and some of his behaviours are fellow actors. Um, um, I can't even remember which ones. Brad Pitt said she doesn't want to work with him again. Come, going back to England and Scientology because I think people are really interested in that because uh, it's seen as so Hollywood and so America uh, and yet there is this uh, there's a lot there is like quite a big history with England isn't there with L. Ron Hubbard coming over mm. so tell, tell me a bit about that yeah so L. Ron Hubbard you know the creator in, I should say just for any you know the, he, he's a sci-fi writer who who created Scientology yeah he, he travelled the
1: world and, and ran Scientology from lots of different places and one of the places he um, in the 60s ran Scientology from was St. Hill which is down near East Grinstead. Um, he bought St. Hill Manor, which is a lovely manor house. And um, I have to look up the exact laws that this kind of got around, but they have this thing called St. Hill Castle, which is next to the uh, manor house because he applied for planning permission to build this advanced organisation where he can deliver Scientology from and you know, run organization from in the 60s and he was denied um planning permission they said no and i don't know how true this is or not but this is a story you're told in scientology when you go down to saint hill you know i spent some time going down there and was giving a tour and this is what you're told that the reason it's a castle is because he was denied planning permission and there's some ancient historic law that says something like you can't you can build a castle on your own land um You know, if you don't need planning permission for it. So it kind of, every man has a right to build a castle on his land. It's something like that. So he built a castle and then the council were like you know, you didn't have planning permission. He said, well, in this, you know, 1200, huh. you know, year old law. It said anyway, and he got around it and they weren't happy with it. And that's why it's a castle. Don't know whether that's true or not, but that's, that was it. But yeah, he ran Scientology from St. Hill for, for a while. And then he went on the run because the UK government, um, didn't like him anymore. And he was kind of being chased down by lots of different governments. That's why he went to, went and on the flagship of Apollo, went into the high seas and ran Scientology from from the ocean for a while
0: which i guess is where we get the name the sea org which is like the center of scientology from he was, he yeah. was actually on a boat which you see in the master that paul thomas anderson great film, film which they always said it's not about scientology which obviously it, is hundred percent. <laughs> yeah and you see them i mean <laughs> philip seymour hoffman in that film looks like l Ron hubbard mm-hmm. and um, joaquin phoenix is brilliant in that so they were moving around a lot and that's the funny thing about Scientologists, like all the people I've spoken to. So firstly, a lot of the guys who've like grown up in it, they didn't get an education in the same way that we might, you know, school and, and stuff like that. Um, but they are very sort of uh, well-traveled. You know, Mike Rinder in his book is just one minute he's in London he's from Australia I think and then they're on a boat off the coast of Portugal and all of that so w- was there a lot of coming and going uh, of, of important apart t- Tom Cruise aside important Scientologists coming into the London base and that kind of thing Yeah but also you
1: have to understand when you're in the Sea when you're a staff member when you're doing what you're doing it's not like these people have time to go and explore the cities they're in right you yeah. as a Sea member will That's be true. posted in St. Hill or you'll be posted in Germany or France, wherever it is, as a Org member, so you'll get a flight out there, you get accommodation covered, and you're there. And then you might be posted somewhere else, and then you go. So yes, you travel a lot, but it's not like you're on a holiday. It's not like you have free time to go and explore the place. Because as a staff member, it's slightly different. You work from like nine till six every day, Monday to Friday. Have weekends off, or you work in the foundation, which is the evening and weekends. But either way, you kind of have your own life, and then also work in the org. But if you work for the Sea Org, you're working from 8, 9 in the morning until 10 at night. And that's seven days a week without any time off. So... Even though you're in all these wonderful places and you might be spending two years in London and then two years in New York and then in California and then in Clearwater, you're not seeing anything other than where you're sleeping and where you're working. You know, there are lots of people who were based over in LA at the big blue building you were just saying about who all of the Scientology buildings are in like one block. And there are lots of people who worked there for years and years who said, That's all they knew was going from this place to this place and back again. They didn't know what was three roads down because you don't have time to explore. But yeah, there is an element of travel generally with Sea Org, but you don't really, it's not like a luxurious thing.
0: And one of the most contentious issues around Scientology is its tax-exempt status. Uh, I, I gather they they brought the IRS to its knees. It's like this historic, unprecedented case where they just were so aggressive on individual IRS members that uh, the IRS caved and just said, "Fine, you can be a, 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 like a cha- uh, you can be a religion and don't have to pay taxes." And that sort of enabled Scientology to flourish. And then there's all this talk, and I'm, I'm never quite up to date with it. About oh, in Germany it's like this, and in the UK it's like that. Uh, what 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 is the situation in in the UK with the tax exempt status and and how does that compare to to other countries that that we know about?
1: So I think it's very different here. I mean, there's no there's no part of the government in the UK that recognises religion, right? There isn't like a religion recognising authority. So the ways, whether or something is just like legally considered a religion is down to a couple of different decisions across the legal board. Obviously, I'm not a lawyer, but from my understanding, there are a couple of different ways of looking at it. Um, in the 1990s, when Scientology got tax exempt status in the US, um, they got that as a religious exemption. So therefore, that's the US government Officially recognise them as a religion. In the UK, they did the same thing. They applied to the Charities Commission um, and applied for you know in the UK if you want to be a tax exempt you have to be a charity Um, and there's a a clause where you have to be for the public benefit and there is a rigorous process of when you apply to be a charity of proving that you are spending 100% of the money you get in for good causes and you are there to benefit others and a religious charity is a type of charity um, but you still have to be for the public benefit and in the 1990s when scientology applied for charity exempt state like charity status here they were denied that status because the charity commission said we don't believe you exist for the public benefit they said outwardly that you haven't proved to us that you are here to help Mankind help other
0: people. Mm. Um that's so a slap in the face because it's the right. one thing they say they are there to do.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and it's the onus is on them to prove it to the charity commission that's uh-huh. what they're doing. And they weren't able to do that. Um <laughs> in the 20, I believe it was 2014, um, there were two people who I used to work with at the London org who requested um to get married in London org. And there is a different part of the UK government that recognizes buildings of religious purpose whether you can get married so when you get married in the UK you can do it you know non-religious or religious and if you want to have a religious wedding you have to have a license to do that in a building as a religious service um so effectively they were denied that um, and they took it to the High Court and the appeals court and I think it was the Supreme Court eventually ruled on it and said yes the Church of Scientology London is a religious building and therefore you can get married there so that was approved in 2014 but for tax purposes because we're not a charity here in the UK or Scientology is not a charity in the UK um, they still have to pay certain taxes and even though they were decided to be a religious building that doesn't mean because the tax definition is it's a religious building open to the public so if it's a open to the public religious building you you can then claim certain taxes back so there was this big court case this was literally in January of this year a big court case as to whether or not the London Church of Scientology building was a religious building open to the public. And these documents are insane because they reveal that they did lots of checks and uh, investigations and found that, yes, they were open to the public, but empty. There was no one in there. It's being underutilised. These
0: are all the words <sighs> of the UK government. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. And then, and then on that line of you know finance, I mean, did you give a lot of... I mean, the, the, the idea of, I suppose, the cult is extract money from people. Did you give a lot of your own money over the years? So I was a staff
1: member. So when you're a staff member you allegedly get things for free. The exchange is you give your time to work and you get servicing in in return. Um, I was a public Scientologist before that so I did spend money beforehand. Um, I also spent money afterwards. I bought my basics books and lectures package. You know, I spent definitely a couple of thousand pounds in my time in Scientology but the majority of processing I got was free when I was a staff member. You also supposedly got paid as a staff member as a seal member you get 50 pounds a week it's a set rate you know and often you don't get that at all um as a staff member it's different it's tied to how much the the org makes each week um so i would earn anything from 20 pounds to 100 pounds a week there were quite a few times when i earned more than a seal member would because the org was doing so well and we'd have lots of people coming in and okay all of that but it would change each week
0: Still less than minimum wage though oh, is yeah, hundred percent. Like a lot less. Mm. Um, and the two thousand so that's like for for people outside, that's two, three thousand dollars. For a young person it's a lot I mean it's a drop in the ocean compared to what some people have given but that's a lot of money and that was just to buy the books where where did you get that
1: money from (laughs) so it was a bit of a dodgy one actually because there was a whole thing called the chase wave which I don't know if you're aware about it's this whole you should do a whole video on that separately (laughs) this whole like fraud thing that happened that we don't have time to go into but um, essentially in the US Scientology were running people's credit cards without them being aware to yeah there's I'm not an expert on it but (laughs) like definitely ask Aaron or someone else and they can give you the rundown but it all sort of coincided with that and I got my basics books and lectures because someone in the US had money on their account and therefore they bought the books for me and then I owed them the money it was all really weird when I was a teenager because they were calling me up and saying you know you need to buy this as this much money I'm like I'm a teenager I don't have this money and they were like cool well they figured out a way of me being able to buy these books and owing someone the money Rather than um you know having to pay them myself, but that the reason that money that was on account with that person was very likely because it was run without them knowing and yeah Chase Bank now don't do any work with Scientology if you have a Chase card you won't be able to spend it on courses at Scientology Oh, Uh,
0: that's incredible wow so you got yours presumably or possibly paid for through that somehow? yeah this this fraud scheme where they were just taking money from other members oh yeah and if you can look up online
1: as well Scientology service completions you can look up any Scientologist and see what they've done and again in this same period of time I looked the other day just out of interest and 90% of London org staff members in this one, two-year time frame um, all went from very introductory level courses to like OT5, OT8, which is like the top of the bridge. That's the highest level you can get in Scientology, Hmm. which costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. You get a discount as a staff member, but you still have to pay for that sort of stuff if it's advanced level processing. You get a different org at St. Hill. But during the time all this fraud stuff was going on, all, almost all of the staff members in London suddenly went up the bridge. It's all very dodgy and something to look so into, the, for sure. The, the,
0: the accusation here would be, or the, the alleged story would be, that that they have been, in that moment, they were just taking hundreds of thousands from other members' credit cards without telling them, and then sort of putting a lot of staff members on a fast track so that they then owed the org that money. Because you presumably owed it then, the 2000 or $3,000, and what, you had to pay it off through working.
1: No. So you get, so you would get servicing things for free if you do it in your own org um but there is only there's only a certain level of servicing you can get in your org so uh, Scientology London you can only get up to the state of clear they don't deliver the OT levels you have to do that at another org um at an advanced org like St Hill so if you want to do your OT levels you have to do them at St Hill as a staff member at London you don't get them for free because you're not working at St Hill but you do get a big discount but you do do still have to pay for them Um, but yeah the whole chase wave thing was huge it was international there's hundreds of articles on it you should look it up for sure Um, and yeah there were different dodgy things like people getting credit cards um, run without them being aware and Scientology applying for credit cards in people's names without them knowing or increasing their credit limits or even a bit more above the board but still dodgy just pressuring people to you know max out their credit cards or get a new credit card just to pay for their servicing and doing things like if you buy a package of this many hours of auditing right now will give you a 20% discount or whatever because there's such a push in Scientology for these poor staff members to up their stats. If your stats aren't increasing week on week, you get in personal trouble. So they will go to the extremes to do what they can to try and make sure their stats are going up each week. So if someone is pressuring you to, you know, you need to sell... You need to make ten thousand dollars more this week. You're going to do everything you possibly can to try and do that because yeah. you don't
0: want to get in trouble. So, what kind? of What are we talking with trouble? Because I don't, I don't, as from from what I know, they wouldn't just well, typically wouldn't be just like hit you around the head or something. What kind of thing would they do?
1: So, ethics is applied in many different ways. Um, that we're talking about lower conditions, which is a formula and certain things you have to do to. Um, uh, to try and get yourself out of a situation um there it 's applied in different ways. There was a time, for example, with myself when I was in the process of leaving because i wasn 't very happy and very upset, and I was literally locked in a room. Um, right. The ethics officer was in the room with me, sat like you and I are now and I was crying my eyes out and going, I just want Scientology to work for me. I'm very upset. You know, it's not working. I'm upset and I want it to work. Um, And he was like, you need to do an OW write-up, which is um, your transgressions, writing up what you've done wrong. And I was like, I haven't done anything wrong against the church. What are you talking about? And he was like, no, there must be something. And I was like, well, I don't, you know, we had it back and forth like this um, and tried to get up and leave, crying my eyes out. He put his hand on the door. He was like, no, you can't you can't leave and I'm like just let me go and have some air or think about it or whatever and it was like no you have to finish this oh. anyway after a while came up with something wrote it down and he looked at it and went great and didn't even like read it just put it to one side and then handed me my source of trouble to
0: it escorted me, me to my desk, and your source of trouble, declare. Yeah, it's just a whole language, isn't it? It's a whole other world on language. No matter how many times I interview ex Scientologists or people who have been in other kinds of cults, it's say like I, I can't get to. I'd have to really study for a long time to to keep up with.
1: You it. also have to realise that even if you have you're in for a short period of time, you're there intensely. So you know, I was on start my total time in Scientology of you know I would have joined in 2011 and got kicked out in 2014 still considered myself a Scientologist till like 16 but we're talking like three four five years depending on where you draw the line um but you, the time that you are there you're there day and night you know so the indoctrination is intense so you're there from nine in the morning till 10 at night or whatever your hours are five or seven days a week for this so it's a lot of time spent with these people so the language does kind of yeah. you know
0: get into your brain Were well, you ever? Uh, scared? Were you scared when you were locked in that room? Were you scared you, that, about not being let out, that they might do something to you? No, I never felt physically threatened. Like this guy was
1: never going to hurt me or anything, but I was—I kind of felt defeated because I was so upset. I was like, you know, just let me leave. And he was like, no. And I remember just in my mind surrendering and just like giving up mentally to, you know, not having the will to fight anymore in my head and thinking I'll just do whatever this guy wants just to get out of this this place. Mm. Um, and what he wanted was me to write up something that I'd done wrong against the church. So I think the thing I came up with in the the cafe in London Org is an honour system. There's not enough staff there to um, actually have a cafe run by staff members. So you just put money on the plate according to what you, whatever you've taken from the fridge. So I think I said something along the lines of I would never... Actually, work out the exact money for whatever else I'm taking. Okay. Sometimes I put a pound in, sometimes I put twenty p. But you know, overall, it probably works out to be the right amount of money because I'll take a can of Coke or something, and sometimes I'll just I'll put whatever change I've got in my pocket. And so sometimes it works out to be all right. Sometimes it probably works out to be less. But that was what I wrote down in the end to say. And they turned that into you're stealing from the church.
0: Ah, uh, right. So it's a, it's a penitence and sin. Where you, it's it's you know the age old religious values here, of like, you know, tell us what you've done wrong, because we actually just want to be able to use it against you later, and know what everyone's doing all the time. But under the guise of it's you getting, the, you know, why Scientology isn't working for you. And that's, I mean, I had that debate with Katie Lohman, the the playmate, who's still a Scientologist the other day. And she kept saying a line, which I now, you know, I now realise you're not supposed to say as a Scientologist, which is that it, it doesn't work for everyone. she was like, well, it doesn't work for everyone, but it worked for me. So I, and I, I realised that what was happening with you, was like they're saying it does work for everyone it's just you've done something wrong so if it doesn't work for you it's your fault is that is that what you get? Yeah
1: in Scientology you're, the whole point is and it's, it's empowering right you are at cause you are in control of everything in your life and in your environment. And that's an empowering thing to begin with. You think, you know, whatever bad situation you're in, whatever, you know, rubbish is going on in your life. You're the one with the power and ability to change that. And that empowers you. You think, oh, amazing. That's great. And, you know, you feel, feel yourself with confidence and go, you can take yourself out of any situation you want. You're in control. You're a cause, um, which is a really good thing. But the flip side of that is when things aren't going right, um, what is it that you're doing to put yourself in that situation so what katie was saying in that interview in response to my story i just told you about was why what did you do that was bad that enabled yourself to put yourself into a situation where they had to apply ethics in that way i completely understood and got what she was saying what she was trying to say was they wouldn't put you in a room and ask you to do that unless something wasn't, unless something had gone wrong. You know, they don't just, if you as a member of the public walk in off the street and say, what's Scientology? They don't lock you in the room and don't let you out. You know, you have to, something must have happened for that to have happened. And as a Scientologist, you believe that you're the one ultimately spiritually in control. So you've put yourself in that situation, Um, which is obviously a negative thing when you look at it in, in that sense in that I hadn't done anything wrong.
0: She was in a difficult position, I think, because she obviously is there to give the message, a positive message about Scientology. And as you say, Scientology at its core is this feeling of you are empowered, you can do what you want, you're responsible for uh, things that go wrong in your life and stuff. So when I, when I said to her, well, what about Alex here who was locked in a room, her response was spot on. It was absolutely right for a Scientologist. Uh, well, what did he do wrong? That's, you know, but it came across to anyone who's not uh, in, that, in that cult, as extremely unempathetic or unsympathetic at, at, at the least, so it didn't go down well with the people watching. But she was in a very difficult position in that sense. Um, tell us, where, where, why should people why should people check out Apostate Alex? So I think there's
1: a lot of people who talk about Scientology online and I think the more people the better. Um, what I'm trying to do is talk openly about experiences and talk about my experiences and talk about other people's experiences, give them a platform to do the same. Um, but I think there's not that great a deal of, of stuff coming out of the UK, right? I think John Atack is um, a former Scientologist. He's been around since, I think he was in Scientology in the 70s and has been speaking out since. Um, I'm the first person to leave Scientology as a staff member in the UK and speak out publicly as far as I'm aware ever. Um, there have been people who have spoken out and done interviews here and there, but I'm certainly the first person to kind of create a YouTube platform and start doing that. So, so essentially what I want to do is bring awareness to the fact that this isn't necessarily some crazy American thing that's affecting people over there and we don't need to worry about it here in the UK. There are things happening in the UK. I get messages every single day from people who are public Scientologists in the UK and said I'm so glad that there's someone from the UK speaking out and sharing experiences and sharing stories because there's just not enough awareness on how Scientology is a global thing and how there are things going on here that aren't necessarily over in the States but they are just as bad so my, you know, it's a really long-winded way of answering your question but my channel is all about giving people a, a, a platform to speak about their experiences so come check us out for sure Alex, thank you for being on The Edge Thank you
0: Thank you, Alexander Barnes-Ross, for coming on the podcast and for meeting me in person. Uh, it's always great getting to talk in person. Uh, what, did you guys notice that? I didn't mention it in the intro. Did you notice it being different or or something? Does Is there a different feel to when I get to do it in the studio with someone as opposed to doing it over these like internet things and on the phone? I want to do more and more in person. And as the podcast grows, I'll be able to afford to do so. You can support the podcast on patreon.com slash Andrew Gold. Do go subscribe to Apostate Alex on YouTube. Uh, He's got a brilliant channel all about the sort of British aspects of Scientology and all the aspects of Scientology and the the awful things that they have been doing. And check out the On the Edge with Andrew Gold YouTube channel as well while you're there. Come subscribe to that. Hopefully by the time you hear this, we've passed 100,000 subscribers. Thank you and speak soon. 18 plus.